Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. We are once again in the midst of the annual abstinence challenge known as No Nut November. This challenge emerged on the popular social media platform Reddit a few years back, and it seems to spread and bring in new participants each year. Basically, it involves men giving up ejaculation for the entire month, hence the no nutting thing. So that means no sex and no masturbation, no orgasms for you. Those who partake do this for a wide range of reasons, with some claiming that it enhances strength, energy, and or focus. However, the evidence just isn't there that masturbation is bad for you and that giving it up is necessarily going to boost your health. In fact, if anything, research suggests precisely the opposite. So let's talk about masturbation. We've covered this topic quite a bit on the show before, and what I've done today is pull together some of my favorite clips on the science of self-pleasure. We're going to talk about the history of masturbation, what we think about when we engage in self-pleasure, whether abstinence actually increases testosterone levels and improves athletic performance, as well as tips for getting more pleasure from masturbation. So let's talk about self-pleasure. Stick around and we're going to jump in right after the break. When it comes to sex, most people have to figure out everything all on their own. Fortunately, there's a solution for this and it's called Beducated. Their online courses can take your intimate life to the next level and teach you about a ton of topics, including how to awaken pleasure and explore your body, techniques you can try in bed with a partner, and so much more. Try all of their courses today for free, and if you like what you see, you can get 60% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Lay Miller, as the coupon code. Check the show notes for the link or visit beducated.com and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. Enjoy. Enhance your sexual performance with FirmTech. Check out their tech ring, which is designed to give you harder, longer-lasting erections while also tracking your erectile fitness. Wear it at night to monitor nocturnal erections and cardiovascular health, or wear it during lovemaking for a boost in the bedroom. Unlike other erection rings, FirmTech is easy to put on, adjustable to your comfort, and it can go on whether you're hard or soft. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, JUSTIN20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. Let's start our masturbatory journey with a look at the history of masturbation. Back in episode 96, I asked Dr. Eric Sprankle when humans started masturbating and how views on masturbation have changed over time. Let's listen in. So I'm curious for your take on this. How long has masturbation been a part of human sexual expression to your knowledge? It can be traced, at least theoretically, back to the dawn of Homo sapiens. And I think that's one thing that separates us as a species from other species. There's plenty of other species that masturbate. Our focus, however, is to the point of orgasm. It is very goal-directed, where a lot of other species will stimulate their genitals, but it doesn't necessarily lead to orgasm. And what is kind of hypothesized about what is unique about our species of being very goal-oriented for the purpose of orgasm is because of our brains and our ability for abstract thought and that we can fantasize. And it's those fantasies that we can create a sexual world 
when there isn't one in reality around us, whereas other species have to rely on sexual stimulation that's in their immediate environment in which there may not be any. And so we have this ability, and this dates back way back into the dawn of being homo sapiens, that we can hold on to sexual fantasies and create sexual worlds in any environment. And that can lead to great solo sex because then we have the longer duration of being in this erotic world that we've created. And that's more likely to produce and lead to orgasm. That was the goal. So there's very little doubt that masturbation hasn't been a part of the entire human story. That book that you referenced in kind of like this turning point in the early 1700s is where masturbation became something else. That was really a turning point more so that masturbation was starting to be viewed as harmful to one's physical and psychological health. And then that started this whole kind of health reform movement, the 1700s, 1800s, and even a little bit early into the the early 1900s as well, that or masturbation in particular, but also like sex in general can have all these negative uh, health impacts on you. And so all these different types of kind of snake oil kind of cures than to avoid masturbating, to decrease the desire of masturbating. And then it's just a laundry list of all the potential ailments that masturbation can cause. And here's all the various ridiculous cures that kind of keep you away from this self-pollution, as it was called. Self-pollution. <laughs> it's a slightly different terminology than self-pleasure, which you right. know, we often hear <laughs> today. And I appreciate you sharing all of that in my textbook, the psychology of human sexuality, I review a bit about the history of masturbation. And it is really fascinating in that period in the 17 and 1800s was really important because you had this broader medicalization of sex, which, as you said, sort of shifted the lens on masturbation from simply being viewed as an immoral or sinful activity to something that actually is a sign of disease or pathology. And you had physicians who would say that semen, for example, is an essential oil and that if you ejaculate for purposes other than procreation, you're basically depriving your body of its life force and that's going to create all of these other health problems. You know, there were even some health manuals that said that one ounce of semen is equivalent to like this many pints of blood and so if you have a stray ejaculation, you know, you're really doing harm to your body. So Eric told us that one of the things that makes masturbation unique in humans is that we have this thing called fantasy. So let's talk a little bit more about that. What exactly do humans think about and do when they masturbate? Back in episode 36, I posed this question to Marie Aoyama from Japanese sexual wellness brand Tenga. Let's listen in. Let me ask next, what do people do when they masturbate? And I mean, what do they do besides use sex toys? Right? We know that, that many people are using them. But, you know, something else you asked about in your survey was sexual fantasies. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm someone who has studied sexual fantasies. I've written a whole book about it. And so I'm curious, what did you find in terms of how many people are fantasizing during masturbation? And what are they fantasizing about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So adult content, adult content remains paramount in Americans' uh, masturbation routine. So 52% of those who masturbate view adult content while doing so. 65% among them are men, followed by 40% who use their imagination or fantasize. And that's a higher number amongst women. So more women use their fantasy, more men tend to watch adult content. 
many think about previous experiences as well. Mm-hmm. Americans also like to listen to music. Favorite <laughs> artists include The Weeknd, Marvin Gaye, or Rihanna <laughs> when masturbating <laughs> or having sex. And a quarter of Americans fantasize about celebrities while having sex or masturbating. And among those who do, those are the well-known celebrities that show up in American imagination. So the funny thing is, <laughs> we've conducted the survey for six years now, and we've asked this question every time because it's kind of interesting. And every year there is at least one Jennifer in the ranking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like company internally, we call them the Jennifers. So it is either Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Lawrence, and Jennifer Lopez. So there's always at least one Jennifer. And this year, it was Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie that are prominent mm-hmm. in Americans' sexual fantasies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. And it lines up so well with the research that I've done on sexual fantasies. So the book that I wrote, it's called Tell Me What You Want. I surveyed more than 4,000 Americans about their sexual mm. fantasies. And one of the things that I asked them about was, you know, who are the people who appear in your fantasies? And yeah. I did find that a lot of people had fantasized about celebrities. And when I looked at, you know, who are the celebrities, there were a lot of Jennifers on that list. And I believe Jennifer Aniston and Jennifer Lawrence were both yeah. in the top five. <laughs> I'm sure that this also varies from, you know, year to year based on, you know, what are the trends in pop culture. But I think that that shows the influence that, you know, culture has on our sexual fantasies because it establishes these standards of, you know, what is beautiful, attractive and sexy. And then that sort of feeds into our sexual fantasies in some way. I also think it makes total sense that you find that men are using porn more than fantasy during masturbation, whereas women mm-hmm. are using more fantasy than porn. Yeah. That's, that's a really cool finding that really makes sense because, you know, most porn that's made is made by men for men. And so it's yeah. more appealing to them. And so I think it's harder for women to find porn that reflects their interest, which is why they might have to turn to their imagination. Okay, let's transition to masturbation myths. One of them is this idea that abstaining from masturbation increases testosterone. I asked Harvard professor Carol Hooven about this in episode 47. Here's what she said. A lot of people are just looking for a quick fix because they've been sold this idea that they need more testosterone or their testosterone is low. And this idea is rampant in a lot of online forums where you see men talking about how do I raise my testosterone? And actually one of the popular ideas that you hear on a lot of these forums is that if you abstain from masturbation, that you can raise your testosterone. That's an ancient um, idea. I can't believe it's still hanging around. Yes. Well, tell us the truth there because, you know, this is actually one of the topics that, you know, people search for that brings them to my website most frequently because a lot of people are interested in this. So what's your take? Can can abstaining from masturbation boost your testosterone? I have never seen evidence to support that, but I have to admit that I haven't investigated the claim thoroughly. So I can't say there isn't any evidence to support it. It doesn't make sense to me for a number of reasons, because if you are, say that is is a signal to your body that you're having a lot of sexual partners somehow, I can't see logically why that should cause a reduction in testosterone. I'm not sure. Also, testosterone promotes sperm production. So I think the signal would be you've got to produce even more, not less. It just logically doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what the mechanism would be. And I haven't seen the evidence that supports it. If if you have a study that shows that that works or that masturbation inhibits 
testosterone, that would be interesting. There's only a very small set of studies that have looked at this and based on tiny samples. And there's, there is one, I, I feel like off the top of my head, the sample was about 10 men that they looked at. They found that men who abstained from masturbation for a week or so, that there was this peak or rise in testosterone for them after seven days or something like that. And a lot of people on these forums will point to that study, but that study has been thoroughly criticized for its very small sample size and drawing very sweeping claims based on something that hasn't really been replicated. So, and you, Yeah, you, you have to imagine that if that were a robust finding, that it would have been replicated and that the reason we probably don't see any replications is because they failed and people decided to put it in their file drawer. Well, and then there are also some studies that show the opposite effect. So again, it's just one of those areas where, right. uh, you know, people who make the very big, bold claims, it's like, no, let's look at all the evidence exactly. and see that uh, there's not a very clear, simple, easy takeaway from this. Another myth about masturbatory abstinence is that avoiding sex and masturbation can improve your athletic performance. Back in episode 61, I asked urologist Joshua Gonzalez about this, and here's what he said. Can abstaining from sex actually improve your athletic performance? Have you ever seen any data or evidence supporting that idea? So I'm not aware of any data that would support abstinence as a, a means of enhancing sports performance. I think it does get back to that sort of, whether it be classic Greek or just old world sort of understanding of the relationship between orgasm and sexual performance. And it was once thought that orgasm sort of took away some of your, let's just call it life energy, right? And so if you abstain from that, then you can hold on to that energy. And I, so I think that's where this like idea that it enhances your performance comes from. You know, we see it in Olympic athletes all the time where they talk about they're in these potentially highly sexual situations where they're around a bunch of really hot, young, attractive athletes in these villages. But many athletes have said that they will not have sex until their event is over and then they kind of let loose. But I'm not aware of any data to actually support that. A lot of people have a somewhat conflicted or complicated relationship with porn and masturbation. So how can we have a healthier relationship with self-pleasure? Let's revisit my interview with Dr. Eric Sprankel for his thoughts on this. So masturbation and porn often go hand in hand, so to speak. And both of these things can become the sources of personal shame and guilt and anxiety. They can also sometimes become conflict areas within romantic relationships where, say, one partner interprets their partner's masturbation as a sign that they're not sexually satisfied or something that they shouldn't need to do if they're in a relationship. So what's your advice to people on how they can have a healthier relationship with porn and masturbation so that we're not getting all of this shame and anxiety and conflict? Yeah, so the big variable there is whether or not the person is in a relationship. So that so many times in my clinical work that person was a self-described porn addict or they were labeled by their partner as such. And it, again, has nothing to do with the amount of porn that they're watching, the content, anything like that. It just has to do with this values difference. A lot of times it was just within the individual. They didn't like what they were watching or how often they were watching. But oftentimes... They had no problem with it themselves, but their partner did. And oftentimes too, much like a lot of different types of, you know, if we're calling, we can at least call this some type of betrayal. A lot of times it was, you know, labeled as infidelity. 
uh, at least in the moment after it was discovered, you know, finding, you know, your partner's uh, browser history and realizing what they were doing up at night. In those instances, it's less about the actual websites that was visited, but more so that there's a secret in this relationship. And it's the secret that was actually damaging. Of course, there were some couples in which there was just a complete values difference of saying, no, you shouldn't be looking at porn at all. And here are the reasons why. You can't argue with that. That's their value system. If their partner disagrees with that, then that's a couple's mismatch issue. And can that be resolved through couples counseling or are they better to kind of uh, go their separate ways? But oftentimes the conflict was just about the secrecy. And so that would be always a big work within therapy and always a big piece of advice, like preventatively, is don't have aspects of your sexuality to be secret, especially if you're in a relationship with somebody. Privacy is fine. And the difference between privacy and secrecy in this context is that with privacy relating to porn and masturbation, that your partner knows that you watch porn, that they know that you masturbate, but you don't have to tell them, you don't have to make an announcement every time that you're going to go log on the computer and masturbate, right? You don't have to keep a log and share it with your partner as like a weekly summary of like, okay, these were my activities this week, right? That type of transparency isn't necessary. But the fact that everyone knows that, and there's no surprise that your partner masturbates and they watch porn, that's not a big deal. That's privacy. Secrecy is when your partner is completely in the dark that you're doing that. And then that becomes a betrayal once that is either disclosed or more often when that is discovered. And that's really the kind of the therapeutic issue is how do we repair that betrayal, rebuild the trust, and develop a little bit more transparency around especially solo sexuality in this committed relationship. Can masturbation help us fall asleep faster? It just might. In episode 101, I asked sleep researcher Dr. Michele Lastella about what his research on the subject has revealed. Here's what he said. And so as you found in your research, for people who had sex before they went to sleep, they said that they got better quality sleep and they also fell asleep faster. So it affects both sleep latency which is how long it takes to fall asleep, and then also the quality of the sleep. Again, this is in terms of self-perception. You might want some objective measurements to kind of back that up. But I think another important question related to this is, what about masturbation? So I know that that was something you also looked at in your sleep. So does masturbation affect sleep the same way that sex does, or is there a difference? The masturbation data was actually very, very similar to the sex with an orgasm data. So as long as the masturbation ended in an orgasm, then it, it was actually followed a similar pattern. So um, when masturbation didn't end in an orgasm, then obviously there was a reduction. So it, it followed a very, very similar. There was just not like the percentage of participants was maybe a 10% reduction on, on that, those respondents. So it still followed the same pattern. Um, and particularly, I think there was not, I can't remember the exact percentage, but for females, it was slightly higher. So I think that was a, an important observation that we found there. Yeah, it was so interesting to look at that data. It did seem like overall sex seemed to be related more to having better quality sleep than masturbation was, but there was that gender difference when you're talking about sex and wasn't present when you're talking about masturbation. And I think you're so right that this can largely be explained by the orgasm gap. We know that heterosexual women on average reach orgasm less consistently, less frequently than heterosexual men. And so if 
part of the link between sex and sleep is orgasm causing the release of these hormones and neurotransmitters. Well, if women are less likely to experience orgasm, or we're talking about heterosexual women specifically, then they're going to be less likely to fall asleep right after sex and to have that better quality sleep and fall asleep sooner. So maybe I think one of the takeaways from here is that if we can close the orgasm gap, we can help women to get better sleep. Would you rather give up sex or masturbation for an entire month? For a lot of folks, this is actually a very difficult choice because each one meets very different needs. So what do the numbers actually look like? Let's go back to my conversation with Marie Aoyama from Tenga for the answer. Now, another common narrative around masturbation is that it's somehow lesser than compared to sex. However, you asked people, would you rather give up sex or masturbation for a month? And you found something really interesting. You know, I think a lot of people would assume, oh, yeah, like everybody would give up masturbation because, you know, you could have sex because sex is necessarily better. But that wasn't the case. So yeah. what did you find there? So the fact is that Americans, yes, it's true, would rather give up a masturbation than sex. But over a third, like 35% of U.S. adults say that they would not rather give up masturbation for a month. So even among those in monogamous relationships, like marriages and relationships. So this shows that masturbation is in no way, like, as I said, a replacement of sex, but mm -hmm. an essential activity for many. And as I said, more than half of U.S. adults, they have like a weekly self-care routine. And among them, 50% include masturbation into their routine. So I kind of always compare uh, masturbation and sex with um, cooking at home and going to a restaurant to eat. It is different, <laughs> but you would not want to abstain from one or the other. It's just, it's different. It has different qualities. It, you enjoy it in different ways. It has mm -hmm. the pros and cons, but just because it's different doesn't mean that the one is better than the other, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such an interesting finding. And, and, and it speaks to, you know, the role that self-pleasure plays in our life and how, many people find it to be really pleasurable and really rewarding in a way that actually exceeds the pleasures and rewards of partnered sexual activity. And so, yeah. you know, that just really gets to the heart of how masturbation is self-care for so many people because, you know, you wouldn't see that many people choosing masturbation over sex if it wasn't such a source of power, pleasure, and enjoyment mm -hmm. in people's lives. Yeah, yeah exactly. Although the modern medical community views masturbation as a normal and healthy activity, it wasn't always this way. And political, religious, and medical figures actually used to try and cure people of their masturbatory tendencies. And some of those cures are downright bizarre. I mean, at one point, they were recommending doing math as an alternative, which I suppose might work if you find math to be pretty boring and unarousing. But anyway... Let's go back to Dr. Sprankle one more time for a whirlwind tour through the history of supposed masturbation cures. So masturbation has long been viewed as unhealthy. And as you mentioned, there have been many cures for masturbation promoted by the religious and medical communities over the years. Some of them very inventive, some of them very disturbing. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the ways that people tried to discourage masturbation in the past? Sure. A lot of them come down to just like competing behaviors. 
things that you can't do two things at once. Uh, so you can't masturbate and you can't hold the Book of Mormon in both hands while you sleep, which was a, a Mormon recommendation to avoid masturbating at night. Dr. Benjamin Rush, one of the founding fathers, he signed the Declaration of Independence. He was a big name in, in medicine, especially in psychiatry early on in the late 1700s and early 1800s. He recommended long horseback uh, journeys. Uh, he recommended studying mathematics. He recommended never looking a woman in the, directly in the face. And he also recommended going to war. So that's an alternative to masturbating is, is to wage war. Other things too are the, the common things that you may even hear now, like old wives tales of like taking a cold bath, uh, changing diet. Some of those things are really common now in some of these wellness spaces uh, that are really kind of fixated on the vital nutrients within semen. So cold showers or baths, switching to like a vegetarian diet, avoiding like spicy foods. That was the whole thing back with like, you know, John Kellogg and Sylvester Graham and the invention of like Kellogg's cornflakes and uh, graham crackers was a diet that is very bland will help diminish sexual desire and therefore the person will be less likely to masturbate. Fortunately, no, none of those things are actually effective. So feel free to have a bowl of uh, cornflakes while masturbating. I'm sure Dr. Kellogg would appreciate that. For our last clip, we're going back to episode 93 with Dr. Emily Jamia. I asked Emily to share some tips on how we can make the most of our masturbation routines and get even more pleasure from them. So let's listen in. A lot of people masturbate in the exact same way every time they do it. And this way often mirrors how they did it the first time they masturbated. And this makes sense because they know that it works. But if you've only ever masturbated in one way, you might be missing out. And there can be a lot of value in self-exploration through masturbation because you can potentially unlock or discover new sources of pleasure. So Emily, what do you suggest for people when it comes to getting more pleasure out of masturbation, especially if they're somebody who has only ever done it in one way before? Yeah, I think that's a great place to start because let me tell you, nobody on the planet is going to touch you exactly the way that you touch yourself. I mean, especially, I think this is especially true for women. There are so many little micro adjustments that are being made, you know, in a millisecond that a partner is never going to be able to replicate ever. Your vibrator may come pretty close, but you know, if, if we're taking that out of the equation, I think what I always do is encourage women to explore their whole bodies. I mean, we, our bodies are filled with erogenous zones. And, you know, a lot of times when people masturbate, like you said, they find what works and that's what they go to every single time. But if you view masturbation, not just as an opportunity to get off or relieve stress or help yourself fall asleep and more as an opportunity to learn your body, I think that there is so much more pleasure to be found. I mean, the whole body is loaded with nerve endings. I think a lot of people feel almost awkward with the idea of kind of massaging themselves from head to toe. But I think when you can get over that hump and, you know, release some of the inhibitions, you'll find that you're actually doing a lot to build arousal and that you probably don't have to touch yourself, you know, on your genitals very long at all in order to have an orgasm. And so I think it's useful because you can then communicate to your partner what also feels good to you rather than relying on them 100% to explore you. And I think you make such a great point about how the sensations that you might get 
during solo masturbation can be totally different from the sensations you're getting during partnered sex. And if you're used to orgasming from the way that you masturbate and you're expecting to have an orgasm during partnered sex, but you're not getting that same stimulation, that can make it hard to have an orgasm. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people who tend to think that, you know, everybody with a certain set of genitals that they all masturbate the same way. So for example, if you have a penis that you necessarily engage in a stroking motion, but if you survey men about their masturbation techniques and habits, you'll actually see wide variability in how they do it. And for example, some people, instead of stroking, they do rubbing. And some people focus on one specific area of the penis. Maybe they're head or glands is super sensitive. And so that's where they focus all of the attention. And maybe they've got props and maybe they've got porn. And, you know, there's so much variability in terms of how people approach this. And so something you can potentially do is when you're masturbating to try and explore different techniques that are going to more closely mimic the sensations that you're getting during partnered sex, especially if you're having a hard time orgasming during partnered sex. So mixing it up, trying new things during masturbation can actually help you to have better sex and maybe even be more orgasmic when you're with a partner. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, especially for my clients who are penis owners, you know, who are having issues climaxing during intercourse or during partnered sex. I mean, what the first thing I tell them is to switch up the way that they masturbate. You know, if they're always dependent on, you know, just their hand and the tube of lotion on their nightstand to get a flashlight or to do a little bit of the stop start technique so that they can build awareness of when they're approaching that point of no return or even let themselves lose their erection and then do what they need to do to bring it back because that might happen during partnered sex. And you can't let the loss of an erection totally derail you from your experience of pleasure because there's so much more that goes into it. And the same goes for women or vulva owners. If they always touch themselves the exact same way, but maybe they have a partner who really likes exploring their breast and incorporating that, then I say, spend more time touching your breast. I mean, and and see what it feels like to turn yourself on in the same way. It's all about collaboration at the end of the day. I hope you enjoyed this journey into the Sex and Psychology Self-Pleasure Archive. Masturbate and be merry. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, sexandpsychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. <laughs>